Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico, broadcasting live every Thursday, 6 to 8 p.m. Central, from Panama City Beach, Florida, home of the world's most beautiful beaches. I want to take this opportunity to thank everyone for joining me on my weekly broadcast. Every week, I'll feature some of the best instructors, coaches, authors, and entrepreneurs in the golf business today. I begin with a great discussion on Coach's Corner, followed by an insightful interview with my special guest. So let's get started by introducing tonight's Coach's Corner panel. All right, good evening, everybody, and once again, welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico, and we've got a, a great show for you. We're here. It's December 3rd. We're getting close to the end of the season, for me anyways, and uh, in just a couple of weeks, I'll be uh, taking a, an extended break, and then we'll fire things back up. Uh, not until February, though. We won't be starting back up with the show until February, so I've got a couple more shows after tonight, I believe two more. And then we'll take a break for Christmas. And then normally I close off for the month of January. Gives me some time to get some schedules coordinated and things like that uh, and get next year's lineup uh, up and running. So, um, But I will keep you posted as we go through the next couple of shows. Um, but again, I want to thank everybody for joining. We're going to start things off here in just a moment with uh, another great discussion here on the Coach's Corner panel. And I'll introduce tonight's panelists in just a moment. And a little bit later on, I'm going to be speaking with a gentleman from across the pond, as they say, uh, Ian Lowe. He's the owner of Ian Lowe Photography, uh, a golf course photography company. And he's author of uh, his new book uh, and publisher of a great book titled Scotland, Home of Golf. Uh, he and his son, Chris, of course, uh, a partner together. And uh, he's actually done uh, several books. We'll talk about that in a little bit more. But he's going to be joining me um, a little bit later on the broadcast after Coach's Corner. And he's going to be calling in. Uh, quite late for him, uh, still early for us uh, from the UK. So we'll look forward to hearing from him a little bit later in the show. Um, let me remind everybody, of course, that the uh, show Golf Talk Live is brought to you by the iGolf Sports Network and Golf Tips Magazine. Uh, iGolf Sports is a live stream broadcast and media production company providing top quality programming designed to attract the, enthousi- uh, the golfing enthusiast. Excuse me. Uh, golf Tips, the game's most in-depth instruction magazine, offering insightful reviews on the latest equipment, tips from top PGA and LPGA teacher professionals, all designed to help improve your game from tee to green. So subscribe today at golftipsmag.com. All right, as I mentioned, we're going to start things off with Coach's Corner and tonight's panelists. Uh, I will now introduce them. First up is Jamie Leno Zimron. She is an instructor, uh, body worker, and consultant. She's also an Aikido six-degree black belt as well as a Class A LBJ teacher professional. Uh, she's a corporate and conference speaker, uh, executive trainer and coach, and speaker for Vistage International and TEC Canada, which is the executive committee. Uh, also rounding out the panel tonight is Bill Abrams. He's the owner-director of instruction uh, of the Golf Solutions Academy at Belmoral Woods in Crate, Illinois. And in the winter months, you'll find him down at Park Ridge Golf Club in Lake Worth, Florida, where he is now. Uh, Bill's been a PGA member since 1993, uh, and as an experienced as a high-energy and multi-award winning uh, players coach and advisor, uh, his results-based holistic approach to coaching produces consistency and desired results, coaching the entire player while appreciating their personality and situation. Uh, I, he says, I quote, I teach people, not systems. I listen intently to your needs and goals to develop a game plan for success. And he, of course, was mentored uh, and a disciple of the legendary instructor, Jimmy Ballard. So, Jamie and Bill, uh, welcome to your last show uh, this season uh, to the Coach's Corner panel. Thanks. 
So happy to be here. Thanks for having us, Ted. So really appreciate it all the time, Ted, all, all the work you do. Always a pleasure to Always a pleasure to be here. I appreciate it. And as always, I thank you guys for your time. I know it's not always easy having to, to dash home um, um, from the golf course and, uh, and and what have you. So I appreciate you guys uh, always giving of your time. All right, I'm going to go in the order that I introduced you tonight, uh, just to keep things simple. And uh, what I'd like for you to do, and, and again, be mindful that uh, you know we want to try to keep our, our answers as uh, certainly as informative, but uh, as, as brief as possible so that we're not, uh, uh, you know, taking up too, too much time. But because um, I got lots of questions to try and get in. But, um, Jamie, I'm going to start with you. And what I'd like for you to do, and again, given the fact that this was, I'm going to preface this a little bit. We know that this was a very difficult year uh, for many, many people. So, uh, but golf managed to sort of rise above, uh, uh, you know, much out there. A lot of people went out to the golf course uh, in, in most areas um, some new players and so forth. Um, but as you look back through the season, um, what was the biggest improvement that you've seen among your students this year? What was some of the biggest improvements and what areas of the game did you most see uh, a sort of a trend in their improvements? That's a great question. Always good at the end of the year to look back, right? And kind of take stock mm-hmm. and assess and all. So thank you. Um, well, I have been doing more virtual trainings, despite the fact that, um, you know, we actually have more people out at golf courses, which is really interesting. You know, the golf, mm-hmm. been, the industry has been trying to grow the game for how many decades, and now it's growing. Right. <laughs> because golf is right. a game that is, is safe to play, right? We've got, we're outdoors, we've got some built-in social distance, it's, which is great. Mm-hmm. So that's been wonderful. Uh, but for myself, I... Um, it just turns out for varying uh, reasons that um, I've been doing more virtual and I really, as they say, pivoted to virtual speaking, virtual teaching. And so one of the things that I see that's been really quite exciting, honestly, is that um, I've done a lot of golf uh, mastery schools and I, which I uh, often say could be self mastery schools. We're having an opportunity because we're not always out there hitting the ball to actually go inside a little bit more to pay attention more to what we're doing so um and online i have of course my fitness program make your golf club your health club uh we're able to do that uh i go out my backyard other people do i have shown them various ways they can practice we work on swing patterning we work on uh the mind body connection we work on knowing where our body parts are our fitness um the mental game of the sort of mind body game and how we manage our mental, emotional, and physical energy uh, out on the golf course and all kinds of different situations. But uh, it's kind of like, you know, I I practiced uh, martial arts, Aikido, and we're also not able to be in the dojo and, and, you know, be so physical Mm -hmm. now, so lots of uh, virtual training. And what's been so interesting and actually beneficial that would not have happened without coronavirus this year is that in martial arts, we don't have the person there to throw, you know, and it always takes us out of ourselves because right. we get busy doing the throw and doing the technique and throwing the person, and that person's not there. So, oh, we have to kind of pay much <laughs> more attention, a lot of self-training, self-mastery training. And in a sense, that's true with golf. We don't have the golf ball there to hit all the time. And if we're, which no matter what our best intentions, we get sucked into hitting that ball and how was the shot instead of 
oh, what am I doing, you know? And and how do mm-hmm. I work with my own energy systems and my own mind body system? And what about my emotions? Who ever heard of them, you know? <laughs> and, uh, or right. how to manage them. So I think that uh, I would say that I've been seeing a, an increased interest in these areas in my students and mm-hmm. also um, an increased amount of practice that's kind of, in a sense, a bit away from the golf course and ways to just even practice at home, which I've been an advocate of for, for years and years. Uh, from the martial arts, we know we need to train and train often, but how often do, does the average person have time and money to get to the driving range, much less the golf course? So we need to be doing stuff at home on a regular basis, mm-hmm. and it's very doable. So those are the things where I feel, you know, I've been able to make um, an impact and see people be more interested and be practicing those things more. And uh, more than interested, fascinated, and they're like, "Wow!" And this, and then when they actually do get out there, uh, and, and I can get out there with them, it makes so much difference. So that's been that's been a benefit actually of this period of time. Very good, and and I couldn't agree more. I think you know we have to take that time to to practice the various different movements and things that we need. And uh, sometimes you can do, you don't need to go to the golf course. You can do it right from home. So I agree with that. Um, great, uh, great response. Thank you. Um, Bill, what about yourself? You know, what, what's been sort of trending this year? Uh, I know you've gotten out to the golf course. You're down, as I mentioned, in Florida right now at your other location. Um, we're a little bit warmer climate. Uh, and you've had a chance to, obviously, when you were up north, work with your students there and then obviously uh, work with um, some new students or, or rekindle new uh, relationships down here in Florida. Um, what's been some of the trends this year that you've seen, some of the areas of biggest improvement that you've noticed? You know, a lot of uh, what I'm seeing is is a lot of general improvement from adult players where, you know, my junior programming has always been extremely strong. Um, but... I found later in the season in Chicago, I brought on a lot of new customers and new players into my programs um, because a lot of them hadn't played in years, were just dusting off the clubs, played more this year, and were really unhappy with with what they were doing. And, you know, getting back to the the idea, I wouldn't say just one area of the game, but I think uh, Mm -hmm. just general improvement from players um, was key because, you know, there's limited, limited recreational opportunities um, that are available to most people, um, whether it's gyms, health clubs, um, you know, mm-hmm. even something as simple as going to the movies. They've, we've had to find a way for people to, you know, enjoy themselves outside, and golf is the simplest way and the best way to do it. And nobody, you know, there's very few people who want to play and play poorly. So I think we've, we've kind of got a renewed interest in in players and their interest to play better and more competently and i would say above above the board i've seen as much or more improvement um you know and we've always seen good improvement with the adult players but i think this Mm. year they were more gung-ho to get after it and i think that's something improvement wise not necessarily physical skill but the overall improvement to play better which means they're going to play more yeah, and that's a you know that raises a very interesting point, and I just want to make a, a sort of a quick comment, and then then we'll move on. But uh, you know that's that's a, a really a great analogy because you know in, in typical years when we didn't have this to deal with, um, you know we had so many other distractions in our lives, so time became an issue. 
Um, even for some of the older retired players, they had other uh, activities, maybe grandchildren, things like that that they were doing. So, you know, their golf games were, were cut back a little bit. But this year, because of, uh, of course, the pandemic, um, not only were more people, new people and, and others coming out to the golf course, but a lot of uh, older uh, golfers or more seasoned golfers had sort of renewed uh, some of those efforts because they had now had more time on their hands. So they were able to spend more time practicing and working on some of the areas that maybe typically they haven't had as much time in more recent years. So um, I, I would agree with that. I think overall, uh, you know, maybe not one specific area, but I think overall, I think golfers are improving because they've had the ability to get out there and work on things. Cause quite frankly, we didn't have a whole heck of a lot else to do. So um, you know, let's get out in the golf course and work on some of those things. So great points uh, on both uh, both ends um, from both of you. Uh, Ted, um, all right. Hey, I yep, just, go ahead. Can, can I, yeah, just one more quick thing, which is um, just to get a little bit more specific. I think that uh, people have been able to work on their short games and their putty more because you can do putting at home. You can do putting and make putting games and contests, even with your kids, your family, whatever, your partner, um, or, you know, right on your carpet or, you know, in your home. And uh, mm-hmm. also, you know, I, backyard, some people in the backyard may, may live in a building, but, um, you know, there's grassy fields at schools. Schools haven't been in so much in use. I've certainly seen that around here, uh, golfers uh, <laughs> pitching it around uh, or at a park. So right. I think that there's been more opportunity uh, to work on short game. And, you know, I've certainly tried to uh, work with people. And virtually you, we, we mm-hmm. can do that kind of training, even online, and watch people. So, um, I would say to get more specific, that short game, which is so important and people don't practice enough, uh, there's been more opportunity and more ways to uh, to incorporate that into even just, you know, kind of your, your daily daily life at home. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's where you're you're right on. I think a lot of people have had that opportunity to be able to do that. And because they can do, uh, in most cases, not every case, but some of it right at home, um, that's where we want them to focus on is that short game because that's what scores uh, in golf. So great point. Um, all right, Jamie, I'm going to come back to you real quick on the next question here. And I, th- I think we would all agree that, you know, certain areas of, of teaching when it comes to the grip and the stance and posture and what we often refer to as the fundamentals um, are key to building a solid foundation. I mean, you've got to, you know, it's like building a house. You've got to build a, a solid foundation. And those are key areas. Some of the best players in the world, like Nicholas and others, um, would tell you that if you start with those good building blocks and build that solid foundation, you're well on your way. Um, but what else is important for students to understand if they want to become a better player? Um, you know, they're building that good foundation, but there's some other areas as well that might be um, maybe just as important or certainly uh, important enough that they need to take notice as well um, besides some of the typical fundamentals. What do you think, uh, Jamie? Well, as I kind of talked about just a little earlier, the idea of training is really important. Um, I actually think that we have this idea of lessons, right? And you come for a lesson mm-hmm. and then fix me. But I think that it, for me anyways, it's a different mindset and coming maybe from the martial arts, but it's not only martial arts. I mean, it could be how you learn to play the piano well or, you know, anything that to do well really requires practice. And, you know, you're really engaging in something where, uh, you know, to improve takes, it takes just continual doing, and um, and that's because actually it's it's part of neuroscience. I mean, our brains, when we repeat and repeat an action, they 
grow these little dendrites, come out of our cells in our brains, and then those dendrites start finding each other. And when they connect, and enough of them connect, and they, those connections get stronger, that's what we talk about, a neuromuscular pathway. So, you know, why does that create a new habit, take 30 days or whatever? We've got to do the thing in order to uh, neurologically, neuromuscularly. So practice. I think people need to understand practice. You can't just come to a lesson once in a while or even every week and then not practice, right, or think that that's going to fix you. And the idea isn't just to fix things. So I think it's a, a shift in mindset where people want to improve. We all, every golfer wants to improve. But that means engaging um, at kind of all levels, not just uh, the, the technique or the club isn't going to do it in and of itself. And it's really about how you are, uh, how, how you're present in your body and you know where your body parts are and your mind and your body can, you know, work together. And that that takes some practice. And practice can be, again, it can be the driving range, it can be on a golf course, it can also be at home, it can be in your living room or, or you know, outside nearby or in your mm-hmm. backyard. So I think it's a shift in mindset. And Houdini, uh, I love this quote from Houdini, who said that magic is practice. So it's not like he just all of a sudden did like these cool magic tricks, right? And you ask any magician, right, you're practicing their tricks. They got to get good at them. And so it takes practice to do anything well and for it to become automatic. Golfers love to talk about muscle memory. But uh, two things on that. I always question that in the sense of, first of all, what are you remembering? And it's like that's where you really need some good lessons, good instruction, and to, and good practice drills, and also that you're grooving in and remembering the right stuff. And then the other is, how are you going to get muscle memory if you don't practice, if you don't repeat and repeat the good stuff? That's how you start to, to get good. And, I mean, we all marvel at the tour pros, but look at how much they practice and look at how much they play. Um, I know when I play – uh, if I have an opportunity as a teaching pro, I don't have that much opportunity. We've got a tournament here and there, you know, every few months or whatever, now and then during the year. But when I've had an opportunity to play some more tournaments more regularly, I start to know what I'm doing. You know, I'm in the groove and I'm getting to know myself and know what's happening. <laughs> and, I, and I do better. Right. So we just kind of need to do it, uh, do it more. And the cool thing is golf is fun. People are golf nuts. They love it. And if they knew that they could really engage even at home and not just wait to get to the golf, uh, to the, the, the driver into golf course, I think that they would improve more. And also, again, just looking at golf improvement, not as occasionally do a lesson to fix me, but how can I really engage so that this becomes a real part of me on all levels of my being? Right. Right. I agree. Um, great point. Um, Jamie, you're exactly right. Practice makes perfect. And, you know, we've got to get out there and work on the various components of the game, not just the fundamentals, but the other areas as well. And the only way you can do that is to either get out on the golf course, get out at the driving range, or even work from your home uh, and work on some of those areas. But, uh, let me, I mean, let me, I've got to move on. Right. I've got to, no, I've got to move on to, to Bill. Um, Bill, I want to ask you something a little bit differently here because I think Jamie pretty much covered um, most of, of probably I'm sure what you would have agreed with as well. Um, what area of the game typically do you think, uh, Bill, that most students have the most difficulty grasping? That's a great question, Ted. And I think the biggest part problem, whether it's a competitive player, whether it's a a junior, whether it's a, a club player, a recreational player, is, as Jamie was saying, the men, some of the mental mastery. Um, 
overreacting to situations. Uh, you know, one of the things that I find with players is most players, after they become a bit competent, can when they hit a poor shot, they can recover and not hit a second poor one in a row. However, one of the biggest keys that I see is how you overreact to great shots as you get better. Meaning if you hit a drive that's perfect down the middle, how do you react to that? Do you, do you flub the next one or do you hit a poor shot or you step up on a par three and, and, and knock one in a foot? How do you react on that next tee? And I think that's something that, um, that players have a big trouble in their time to try to cope with because, you know, they're always, you're always talking about having a quiet mind. Well, I really, some of the, the essence, there's no such thing as a quiet mind. There's an organized mind. Mm-hmm. We can't control our thoughts, mm-hmm. but we can control how we react to them. And I, I find that all the time. A player leaves a ball short, then the next one they smoke it long. They're a fear, then they become fearful yep. of one side of the hole or other. And that really becomes a, a huge issue with them. And then that leads to yips and, and you know, other little <laughs> flips and dunks on the short game. And, you know, I think that's really the hardest part of, of doing it. And as coaches, not instructors as much as coaches, we have to get that, that as Jamie said, that mind-body balance where players are organizing prior to the shot and that not overreacting when something happens. Yeah, and that that's you know that is so true because I mean we really see it on on in every aspect of the game, but particularly you see that on the putting surface a lot. You'll see a player will, you know, hit you know leave it short, and the next hole he said, well I got to get it to the hole, and the next thing he blows it you know ten feet past, and now he's got a a, a sketchy putt coming back. Um, you know, so we see that in, in all aspects of the game, but I noticed that a lot, particularly in some of the people that I've played with over the years uh, on the putting surface and even some of the students that I've worked with. That's a, a big area. All right, I'm going to come back, and this one is for both of you. And uh, again, uh, we've got to be conscious of the time, so I, I want to give each of you, you know, a, a few moments, obviously, because it's a, it's a, a, a difficult question, but um, I want to be conscious of the time because I've got a few more questions I need to get in. Uh, I want to try to get in tonight. So, Jim, I'm going to start with you. So, you know, typically we, we might work with a student. Um, we might have them for 30 minutes in a lesson. Sometimes we might have an hour, depending on what it is. But every once in a while, we get somebody that doesn't have a lot of time, and we want to try to help them. So here's the question. If you had just 10 minutes with a student, if somebody come up and said, I've only got a few minutes, can you help me with my game, what would you say or, or what advice to them would you give to get the most out of that time? I love the question. You know, in the LPGA at uh, tournaments, uh, at the tour events, we have something called the lesson zone. And in the lesson zone, mm-hmm. uh, we have a bunch of pros and people sign up for their, their shifts, and we have 10 minutes to give a lesson to people. So I couldn't give you a blanket answer, what would I do with someone in 10 minutes? Mm-hmm. But what we do, and I right. think we've gotten pretty good at it, is to – you know, see the student, ask them what they'd like to work on. Uh, so we're student-centered. And then you know, have them take a few swings or hit a couple of balls, watch them. And, uh, you know, just from observation, hone in on what is one thing they want to work on. Um, maybe they need to hit it straighter or maybe they, you know, they might want to hit it farther, whatever. But um, let's, let's just say straighter. And uh, what is it that's uh, causing it? Is it a lack of balance? Is it something in their grip? Is it something in the way they use their hands and then affect the club head through the ball that's knocking it off course? 
So, you know, whatever it is, but just to um, look for that one thing that could help them and to work on that for the next, you know, five, six minutes, whatever time we have is after we've done that. So um, that's kind of how those lessons go. And it's really been fun. It's a great challenge. And it's remarkable to watch all these different pros in all their different ways with all these different students with a, a particular uh, reason they're coming for their lesson uh, to give them something they can really use. And I've just seen students walk away so happy from these 10-minute lessons. It's, it's quite remarkable. You know, that's really interesting, and, and thank you for sharing that. Um, you know, Bill, what, you know, what, what really Jamie's talking about is, you know, not so much offering a, a quick fix or uh, an instant improvement, but giving them some um, direction and then giving them the opportunity to really think about it and work on uh, some of those areas. So uh, posing the same question to you, if you had just 10 minutes, a student or a potential student walked up to you, what would you say to that student or how would you advise them um, to not only help their game, but to make the most out of that time that you have with them? You know, real simple, ask them a lot of questions and listen intently. What is the ping that knocks them back? When you talk to them about what's a shot, if I can give you one shot or correct one shot right now in 10 minutes, what would that be to make you happier and make you play more golf? I think that's a, a big area that you have to go. But also, I think a lot of the things that they get missing are the setup and balance, you know, and, and a lot of the, the issues occur because the foundation of the house, the footwork isn't good. So what happens, then there's an overreaction or underreaction up the food chain and your arms and hands and torso don't react correctly because your weight may be too much on the toes, on the heels. You may be a little too much far left or right. And I think that's probably the first place you have to go is get them to, to uh, check on their balance a little bit, you know, depending on the situation, and then see from there how, how the balance in the swing is because a lot of times the, the static balance is poor and then the dynamic balance gets even worse. So what we have to do there is, is make a, you know, a quick correction where they can see a huge difference in ball flight right off the bat. And, you know, with the, everybody talks about the tempo, but if you don't have good balance and good dynamic balance, you, your tempo is going to be all over the ball chart. Yeah, and, and that's also, um, thank you, Bill, that's also a, a great point because, you know, quite often we have students saying, well, you know, this is happening or that's happening but they don't always clearly identify what's causing it, um, whether it's, it's poor balance or whether it's you know, a faulty grip or what have you. Um, you know, there's a myriad of things that potentially could be. So you know, that to me is another way, as, as Jamie pointed out, um, and as you are, uh, you know, really identifying what some of the key problems are and then helping them once they've identified it, to sort of overcome it, because you're not going to help. You know, one, one of the biggest mistakes that I, I, I think that, you know, as an instructor that we have to guard against is offering these sort of quick fixes. Uh, and I know most don't, but you get some out there that do, and they say, well, yeah, you know, I'm slicing the ball, and, or I'm doing this, and I'm doing that, and they're looking for a Band-Aid um, to help their game. So, you know, you, you have limited time, and sometimes you want to help them out, and you do things like that. But I think more importantly, if we can identify what the root causes are, uh, why they're having uh, you know, struggles in certain areas, I think, as you pointed out, Bill, and, and, and Jamie has pointed out as well, is now it becomes easier once you can identify what's causing the problem than to uh, offer solutions and, and options to correct it 
So moving forward, when that happens again, they're going to say, ah, okay, I remember now. This is what's causing this, and now they're able to self-diagnose. And that doesn't mean we want them to you know, get out there and, and do everything themselves, but it helps them to understand what the root cause of the problem is. So great answers, guys. I really like that. All right, so Jamie, I'm coming back to you. Uh, we've got another uh, question. This one is now going to turn uh, our eyes back on you as the instructor. Uh, and I want you to think about, um, and again, you know, if you need to, uh, can't think of anything uh, particular um, this season, you can always refer to last season if necessary. But what did you take away from working with your students this year that will help you become a better teacher, coach, instructor as we move forward into 2021? What did you learn from your students working with them that you think is going to help you become even a better instructor or teacher? Mm, wonderful question. Um, I occasionally know, come I'm up always, with them. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I'm always encouraged when I, uh, by my students and just so impressed um, to see their just how enthusiastic they are, let's say, to find, mm-hmm. like, what can really help me um, and to understand golf more, how much they love the game, and also how much they love to compete. <laughs> and what I mean by that is mm-hmm. that could be competition, and that can be at any level. Um, I've got uh, a student who uh, – she's a friend and a student, actually, but um, uh, she's in the Midwest, and – um, she's, I don't know, flight C or I don't know what flight she's in, but certainly not the championship flight in senior women's amateurs. And uh, she just really loves golf, worked on her game. And uh, in her flight, she did so well that she's qualified to go to uh, an event in March at Pinehurst. And she is mm. like thrilled beyond. She's out of her toes with, with excitement. And, um, you know, it's not like she's going to be the top senior amateur, U.S. women's amateur champion. Who cares? She's in her flight, in her thing, and she has these opportunities, and she's having so much fun. Uh, how much fun people have, uh, especially if they can improve and play better and, uh, and hold their own well, just how much fun they have engaging at any level um, in a competition and that could be a friendly, fun one um, with their friends. It could be there's so many organized events and at clubs and, uh, and public facilities. Um, and uh, it could be creating just a fun putting contest with their kid at home. I mean, whatever it is, uh, I just always learn how important it is to kind of test yourself, to have kind of a measurement, have something to work towards. And the the sense of fun. <laughs> and that, so mm-hmm. a lot of people are having fun and they're engaged and they're loving it and they're feeling like, you know, um, they, they're, they're doing okay. Maybe they're doing a little better. They win sometimes. Um, it's, it's just great. And so it's that spirit. And it just reminds me, I guess I keep learning from my students uh, what the game's all about, you know, and it's not just about this improvement to get a low handicap <clears throat> or be a pro or something like that. That's just not what it's all about. Well, and and that's a great answer. I I like that because, you know, I think sometimes, you know, often we, we lump golf in as a sport, you know, because of the professional levels, but it's really a game. And the whole purpose premise of playing games is to have fun. And Bill, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I know that as Jamie has explained in her situation, 
I'm sure you've got some, uh, you know, something that you can uh, or has ta- have taken away from your students this year. So as you reflect back on, on 2020 with, you know, with everything that's gone on um, and the students that you've worked with and that, what did you take away? What, in other words, what did you learn from your students this year that is going to help you moving forward into next year? I think the the big blessing for most of the students is, um, you know, number one, their resiliency. Um, because I had a lot of high school players that either had a season or didn't have a season or had a protracted season. Some didn't have a high school state championship. Uh, the resiliency of the players was one of the things. But their ability to adapt and improvise and not take anything for granted. I think that was the biggest piece of the puzzle that makes me proud as a coach um, because situations were not perfect. They were not expected. We were managing situations and, and not allowing them to manage us. And, you know, with the way that the season rolled, you know, it was much like an airplane already took flight, but you're still build, building the tail section of it while it's in the middle of the air. Um, you know, it, it was their ability, the player's ability to adapt and overcome and really have fun in a, in a challenging environment. I think that's, you know, that was the the biggest uh, thing that I took away from all my students is it was beautiful. It was fun. And, you know, it was, you know, enjoying a game. What, at whatever level you were at. I, a great, uh, a great answer as well. You know, I think when I, when I look at for myself, I think for me, uh, it's sort of a combination of, of what both of you said, but I think also too, you know, when, when you see that they get it, that they're starting to understand what it is that you're saying. Cause it, I mean, we can all agree golf can be extremely difficult for everybody. Even the best players have challenges, you know, throughout their career. And, you know, one of the things is it can be difficult sometimes with students to get them to help them to understand, to grasp, as I mentioned earlier, um, you know, number one, what it is they're doing wrong, how to fix it, how to correct it, and how to get right on, on back on the, on the right path, if you will. And then also to put a game plan together um, that's going to be beneficial to them to help them become a better player to and ultimately have more enjoyment. And once they get on that right path or in that right, you know, get a nudge in that right direction, then to Jamie's point, they begin to have more fun. There's nothing more frustrating. And I don't care whether it's golf or whatever game or sport you want to throw in there or even uh, job title. If you're not enjoying and you're not, um, you know, having some fun in what you're doing, then it, it's it's kind of like walking on a bed of coals. You know, <laughs> you don't know whether you're going to get burnt. You don't know what's going to happen, and you know, you just stop enjoying it, and ultimately people give up. So uh, I like both of your answers, and uh, this question here really goes to the social aspect of golf and. Um, I really thought about this one here, and I know we've talked about something similar before. Jamie, I'm going to come back to you, and I, but I want you both to, to sort of you know, throw your, your comments in here. Um, there is a lot of golf marketing and social media revolved around golf uh, being presented to the average golfer. I mean, we all get bombarded, but you know, golfers are, are getting all kinds of messages through social media, and I don't mean just advertisements and things like that, but um, you know, the latest and greatest technique and such and such and, and this lesson plan and that lesson plan, and they're just bombarded. In your opinion, Jamie, I'm going to start with you, and then, Bill, I'm going to get you to jump in. Are we overwhelming the golf market with too much information 
If so, why? <laughs> you know, that's yeah, a great, great question. question. Ted. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Here. Yeah, Jamie, go ahead. Yeah, no, Jamie, go ahead and start off. I was just pitching yeah. in on that. Sorry. Yeah, that was awesome. Go ahead, Jamie. Yeah, yeah, we're both just loving your questions, Ted. Um, okay, so are people being overwhelmed by too much? Uh, it's like TMI, right? Too much information. Yep. And you know, I would say, in many ways, yes. It's like, um, you know, there's so there is so much information out there, and uh, and a lot of people have a lot of great stuff to say and contribute and everybody wants to make videos and, and write stuff and make money and get more students. And, you know, we understand it all. And hopefully there's, you know, enough golfers and enough demand out there for everybody. At the same time, um, it's kind of an old and a new issue. Like I think about my dad. Uh, so that was many, many years ago. We'll say, I don't know, 30, 40, 50 years ago when he was kind of learning golf and, uh, he he paid attention to just about everything he heard, and he would read something here and do something there, and that was before we had this glut uh, through the internet. And and he would have a new answer every you know five to seven days. He had the new secret to golf, <laughs> and he would yep. he would try this, and then he would try that, <laughs> and then he would try that, and he was convinced, and now he's got it, and now he's got it. And I got to tell you, the guy hardly broke 100. I mean, he, he, you know, sort of maybe shot in the 90s sometimes. My mom was uh, different. She was, like, shooting in the low 80s. She was something else, and she just kind of had a way, and she, you know, worked with that, and, you know, she put new things in there. But she knew what she was doing. My dad just, you know, played around with this and that and that and that so much that he never really got anywhere. Um, I will say that once he started to become a Kia golfer with me, and I gave him a consistent thing to do, by then he was in his <laughs> 80s, and he was willing um, he actually improved. He was improving. Like it was amazing how much he improved. Um, you know, it was cool. But uh, so to the point, I think that's just been a tendency, a human nature tendency in people and golfers forever is to find the, the answer, the fix, the cure, the thing that's going to do it. But uh, and if you take that and then you feed it with the glut of information on apps and yeah, TV, mm-hmm. 24-7 golf channel, just everything, and so many choices and so much equipment, and now this and now that. I think we can have an issue, and, uh, you know, some people do have an issue where there's just too much, and they're trying this and trying that, and uh, and, and not getting anywhere, that that can become a problem in and of itself. Um, I think it's important yeah. for people to find something, someone, some some teacher, some approach that makes sense to them, that works for their body that works for their learning style, that works for their temperament, and then kind of stay in that vein um, for the most part uh, instead of jumping, you know, like a bean from here to there and there. Um, I think that that can really be an issue. Yeah, and, you know, I, I'm inside I'm laughing, you know, in your analogy that you gave of your father because I know so many people that fit into that mold that, you know, learned the game at some point, you know, sort of old school. And now all of a sudden with the the information age, Bill, we've got all of this, you know, media coming at us and saying, hey, you got to try this and got to try. And it, it, I equate it to how the fitness industry and how the um, weight loss industry used to be. Um, it still is to some degree. Now it's just, you know, you pop a pill and, and so on. But, you know, years ago I can remember – many people collecting dust in their garage with all of the fitness equipment and gadgets that they were buying, you know, lose 20 pounds by, you know, pressing this ab 
doctor or whatever the heck it was called. I don't remember now. But so, Bill, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, I'm sure you agree with much of what Jamie said, but you might have some other oh. thoughts as well. But, you know, we're getting bombarded with so many messages. The average golfer is that, you know, it, it's just, you know, one thing and another, you know, as, as we move day to day, you know, something new. What are your thoughts? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think there's a, there's a lot of soup du jour instructional thoughts out there. And Jamie, you and I have both seen, and we've been at this long enough that in the last 20 years, there's a, there's a, uh, a, a technique du jour that everybody's doing and a few <laughs> tour players do it. And then they, they fall <laughs> off the planet. And I, I think there's a couple of things that I, I, I coined a phrase back in the nineties and I called it the FedEx syndrome. People want something, they order it now and they want it yesterday. So, yeah. you know, they, there, there's no patience and they want that quick fix and they want it and they want it. And, oh, this is the best thing. And this is going to work forever. And I think that's a big, big part of the issue. And what with that goes on things that players are doing, right. They abandon those in hopes of finding something else. And as an instructor, what I always look for first is the things that I feel that people have a proficiency to do and, the, and an efficiency to do. And then I go to look for where the, where the oil leaks are, so to speak, and, and get those patched up so the engine runs good without, without flaring oil or losing tires. And I think that's one of the things that's with this glut of information, there's not the ability to do that. I've found far too many people that abandon, you know, principles and things and setup wise and, you know, mechanics that they do very well because they're jumping on this uh, swing du jour, so to speak. And it just isn't mm-hmm. efficient. It doesn't, it doesn't match their interpretation style. It doesn't match their release patterns. And they, they just take things that they've done well and ditch them. And then all of a sudden they're confused and, and there's no clarity. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the biggest things that we have to have in instruction is you have to define and clarify, you know, what you want to do and what you, what needs to be done to get that to happen. And, you know, with, with the, you know, and I've got videos out there and everything, but I try to keep them sure. a little bit more, um, I don't want to say nonpartisan or, or agnostic, so to speak, because I don't want people to overwhelm. It's just more or less little drills to help with certain pieces of their swing. You know, I, I think what it boils down to is this. You know, we obviously have to you know, in any business nowadays. Technology is here. We've talked about technology in the past. And, you know, I, I'm a firm believer. I, I, you know, I love some of the technology out there, but it has its place. I think where we run into the problem here, is, as, as I was mentioning earlier, and as both of you have brought up, is there is so much information that sometimes, you know, the average person now that comes out and takes a lesson you know, they're rushing through the grip, the stance, and the posture, you know, all that. They want to get to, you know, the meat and potatoes. They don't want to, you know, put together those building blocks anymore. They they see this. And, and as far as, you know, as you put the, the soup de jour, if you will, um, Bill, some of the problem with a lot of these things that have come over the years, over the last decade or so, is that they've, they've sort of pigeonholed everybody into the same um, box, and the problem with that is, as we're discovering as more time goes by, is we are all uniquely different. We have different shapes, different sizes, different abilities. And, and to try and teach a singular method to the masses just does not work. Um, 
certainly not effective. Some will grapple to it. Some will um, benefit from it, but many won't. And I truly believe because of the aggressiveness of the marketing and, and platforms that have been made out there, and I'm not talking about the individual instructors, um, you know, what you're talking about, Bill, and Jamie, I know you've got some uh, website and so forth that has things. I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about the overall uh, agenda of, you know, let's get everybody swinging this way or let's get everybody swinging that way. I truly believe that is what caused has caused a lot of people, uh, not just beginners, but even some seasoned golfers to get to leave the game out of frustration. And I think we've got to be smarter about it. We've certainly got to take advantage whenever possible of social media and of marketing opportunities. But at the same time, we have to be cognizant that people are being bombarded with so much information. And if we're just adding on to the heap and not really targeting that specific individual or that individual over here uh, and just sort of blanking it out to the masses and expecting we've got the magic sauce here uh, to add to that soup, um, we're going to find ourselves in a situation where more and more people are going to go. We have a very unique opportunity this year. We've been very blessed, I believe, in the golf industry because of uh, you know the pandemic and that, that more and more people have come out. And this leads into my very last question, and uh, we have a little bit of time to, to do it. But my last question is this. For the listeners out there who are new to golf this season, and there are many out there, I want each of you just to put together just a, a brief checklist of what you would say to them or what you would like to get them started, to get them started on the right path so that they're not getting all of these mixed signals and that. So if you had uh, that student that's just new to the game this year, maybe they were forced to get out because of the pandemic and they just had to get out of the house, didn't want to not watch Netflix anymore or what have you. Um, Jamie, I'm going to let you go first and then Bill. <laughs> I just love your questions, Chad. They're awesome. Um, so uh, the first thing is I always like to talk to people about uh, the PGA and the LPGA. Like, you know, what does that mean? And uh, so the PGA is uh, posture grip alignment. And LPGA is love your posture grip alignment. So that should feel comfortable. It should be aligned. It should be balanced. Uh, it should be a center. So we'll go into what loving your posture grip alignment means. And obviously we're working on posture grip alignment. Those are, you know, the fundamentals of golf. Um and a nice way to remember them and then to work on them. And, um, you know, how, how do you get comfortable uh, in that presence in your body? And I teach them about centering and um, balance, and I go through kind of lower upper body. Uh, I talk to them about um, and have them understand that and to feel that they've already got a head start on this because golf is a throw-the-ball sport, not a hit-the-ball sport. So what that means is um, – the way that you throw balls, everybody can do an underhand pitch or throw a ball. And even when they're not that athletic, they can. We study their motion and they tend to push off from their foot and their back knee. And then comes their hand and their arm and, you know, like a, a an extension. Uh, and so we play catch and then we play golf catch, turning sideways to, um, you know, throw the ball and work on those same kind of uh, body mechanics. And in and, and that sense of that sort of arc and flow with their arm and, so they're already starting to get, you know, just some, some real basics of it and things that they can relate to. The other thing that I talk to them about is uh, when, when do you do a swing? When, when, when have swings been in your life? And that tends to be a swing, right, as a kid. And uh, when you were a kid or your kids, you go there and playground and they get them on a swing. And when you sit down on the swings, there's a couple things. One is it has a set. 
Without a swing set, there's no swinging, and that set needs to be stable, right? You get these big, strong bars set in concrete. So we have a stable set, and they can start to understand stability and balance and containment of energy. And then you sit in the, in the middle, right, and put your butt in there. To get the swing moving, you can pull all day on the ropes or chains, but with your hands, you're not going nowhere. To get things moving, it starts from the feet. There's a push with the feet. And then you go back, and then you go through, and you go back, and you go through. And the more you go back, the more you go through. There's an evenness, and that would be the backswing and the follow-through. Um, and then there's the, the bottoming out, right, where the ball is. So, you know, I try to relate um, in a few really solid basics that people know from throwing a ball or uh, swinging. And some principles relate that to your posture grip alignment and loving it so that you're comfortable the elements that make you comfortable, um, you know, centering, relaxation, grounding, connection, and uh, and then we're off, you know. Um, then there's, you know, you can get more specific and work on more things, but uh, those are the things that I like to really get people grounded in and feeling like they can already kind of do it and they already kind of get it, and then we go. I think that's a great way to start. Uh, you know, I think working on some of those oh, – um, Bill, I'm going to let you go. Uh, looked like Jamie got cut off there, but um, Bill, I'm going to let you go. Um, for the listeners out there, I know you've got a checklist that um, uh, that you would put together um, for those new golfers out there that have never been uh, in the game before. They're just coming in from, you know, whatever. Um, what's your checklist going to be? Well, the first thing is I'm going to find similarities in what they've done for a living and what activities they've done previously and then kind of build the, the form work from there first thing as jamie said we work on i work on the feet first because that's where everything is then we work our way up the food chain and i find a lot of times the grip will fix itself once we get the feet working correctly you know as, as long as a newer player ca- kind of gets an idea where the club stays more in the fingertips and they're in a little better place I don't get overly concerned with that at first. I have them do something very simple. If you've ever seen the Ben Hogan on, uh, on the Ed Sullivan show where he gets his feet on mm-hmm. the ground and just does a little, a little pressure on the, on the trail foot, then a little pressure on the lead foot where the club, then the club swings when they've got that hug with their arms on their side, it's like a little Y swing. We start to work with that where they're maintaining an arc and a radius and start to hit some balls. And then from there, we start to move faster. As they move faster, the club goes further each direction. And there you go. You build a swing from the ground up. I think that's the best way to go about doing it is, is look that up. And I've got the video there a ton. Uh, we call it the Hogan drill. And it's, it's fantastic because it, 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 it encompasses all the necessary pieces of the puzzle that are going to stick with this player forever. Yeah, I think, you know, I think the simpler that we make it for them, I think the easier and more adaptive they will become. And sometimes, you know what, guys, we have to look back to move forward. Sometimes when we look back and at uh, some of the more simple things in instruction, sometimes can be the easiest to educate moving forward. And uh, there's lots of great theories out there. There's lots of uh, great information that we've learned along the way um, that certainly has helped us uh, in our journey as instructors and teachers and coaches and whatnot. Um, But sometimes looking in the rear view mirror sometimes um, in the past can be a great tool as well. So, guys, thank you very much. It's been an interesting discussion, and I'm glad we uh, 
we were able to spend this time together. And as always, I'm going to give uh, each of you just a, a quick moment or two to let the folks know if they want to reach out uh, the best way that they can go ahead and, and do that. So, Jimmy, um, let you go first and then Bill. Sure. Um, and I just want to say I can't agree with Bill more about the feet and the ground up. Uh, so important, the lower body. Um, well, people can reach me at, through my website, which is uh, you can get to the same place through Kiai Golf, K-I-A-I golf.com or the T-H-E, the centered way, uh, center E-D, the centered way.com. <clears throat> Um, and uh, you can just sign up for, um, you know, get, you'll get uh, emails and uh, information and any questions, a good way to reach me. Uh, also, through the phone. <laughs> I always say that. I like to talk and I'm happy to uh, connect directly. So that's 760-492-GOLF, 760-492-4653. And uh, social media, Jamie Leno Zimron, like Jay Leno in the middle there, Jamie Leno Zimron on Facebook, on LinkedIn. And uh, happy to talk and to let people know about uh, different events and virtual lessons and, uh, you know, uh, privately or in uh, some, some group lessons. I also do a lot of fitness work online so uh, and, and counseling and coaching. So I'm uh, happy to connect always. And thank you very much, Ted. And Perfect. thank you, Bill. Great, great conversation. Thank you. Uh, Bill, how about yourself? Best way that the folks, if they want to reach out, that they can do that? Yeah, thanks again, Ted and Jamie. Great, great conversation tonight. Uh, easiest way to get me is, is BillAbramsGolf.com. It's A-B-R-A-M-S, just BillAbramsGolf.com. All my, uh, all my contact information, my email, uh, phone number is 630-926-4554. Um, and then uh, on all the social media platforms, Instagram, uh, Facebook, uh, Twitter, uh, you name it, we're there, and uh, we look forward to helping everybody out. we got a YouTube channel as well, and uh, I do also, uh, let me add this, I have an app. If you go on to either of the, um, either the iTunes store or on the, um, on the Android store, it's under Golf Solutions Academy, and it's a free app. Um, there is a paywall in there if you want to send in, submit videos, uh, very reasonably priced video submissions, but also you can uh, utilize that, and it has a ton of good drills that are professionally shot on them that will help your game. Perfect. And it was Google Play was the word you were looking for uh, for Android. So Google Play or iTunes yeah. can get that app. Thank you. Yeah, thank yeah. you guys um, very, very much. Uh, all, all the best to both of you this season um, as as we three wrap up our time together uh, in 2020 here on the Coach's Corner panel. And I look forward to having you both uh, join me again in a future show So uh, next year in 2021. So have a great holiday season. Be safe, both of you, and uh, enjoy uh, your time uh, through the holidays. And I will see you next time uh, here on the Coach's Corner panel here on Golf Talk Live. Thank you very much, both of you. Thanks, Jamie. Awesome. Thanks, Thank Ted. you. What wonderful. Yes. What, thanks for a wonderful year, Ted. Take care. Absolutely. And looking right, forward to, to the next one, to the new year. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Thank you, guys. All right. That was the Coach's Corner panel. Uh, Jamie Leno-Zimron and Bill Abrams, uh, as I mentioned, joining me here uh, for the last uh, of their show for this season. They'll be coming back, of course, uh, in the new year for – uh, some more uh, interesting segments, but I think it was a good discussion tonight. I really enjoyed, uh, I put a lot of thought in the questions tonight. I wanted to sort of end the year, um, or at least uh, this session of it, uh, with a bang, as they say, 
and uh, I think we did a good job, and they certainly did a great job. All right, before I introduce my guest, uh, just a quick uh, little commercial that I want to play. This is a, a great product. You know, we, we're all very, very conscious uh, socially and whatnot uh, during this difficult time globally. And uh, my good friend uh, Byron Casper, of course, son of legendary Billy Casper, uh, introduced me to this product, and it's called Golf Nicks. And it's uh, basically a uh, product uh, to wash your hands, uh, and um, and you can clean golf carts and so on and so forth. Well, let me play the clip, and you can hear for yourself. 2020 hasn't been exactly what any of us expected, but the one thing we have in common is the need to cleanse and stay clean. Doctor recommended and approved, Golf Nix is a hand and skin cleanser that can be used daily. Clean your hands, shoes, clubs, your golf cart, and use it around your home. It leaves no sticky residue and moisturizes your skin. Keep clean and avoid those pesky germs that exist all around us today. Golf Nix is your natural solution to keep clean. Check it out at golfnix.com. That's golf. NIX.com. All right. Um, it's a great product. I had some samples shipped to me, um, and it is a great product. It's What I really like about it is it's non-toxic. It's very environmentally safe and non-alcoholic, so uh, you, you have a lot of uh, great uh, ingredients in there. And for those of you that are listening to the show and also subscribe to Golf Tips Magazine. You know what I'm going to say here next. Uh, if you go to golfnicks.com and make a purchase, and in the checkout, uh, you'll see for a promo code, if you enter Golf Tips 2021, you'll save an additional 10% off of your order. So go tonight uh, after the show, go to golfnicks.com, uh, place your order, enter in uh, the section for the promo code, Golf Tips 2021 and receive an extra 10% off your order. It's well worth it. It's a great, great product, uh, and um, we're happy to present it to you here on Golf Talk Live. All right, I'm very, very excited about this evening's guest. Uh, we actually had a, as we call it, a test call a little bit earlier on today. Um, he is, of course, as we say, calling from across the pond, uh, and uh, I'm very, very excited to have him. It's very early in the morning where he is. Uh, not uh, uh, here on Central Time. He's on a different time zone. And uh, I'm going to introduce him now. He is, uh, of course, Ian Lowe. He is the author, <coughs> excuse me, and publisher of Scotland, Home of Golf, as well as the owner of Ian Lowe Photography. Uh, Ian joined the uh, Royal Air Force in 1970 as a photographer and served uh, 24 years. Uh, in 1994, he and his wife purchased a guest house in St. Andrews, which they ran for uh, five years. At the same time, he started the Ian Lowe uh, Photography, Golf Course Photography, uh, and published his first book in 1999, St. Andrews and the Open Championship, Official History. Uh, the award-winning Scottish Golf Links, A Photographer's Journey, was published in 2004. Uh, he's put together a total of eight books uh, now published. In 2007, his son Chris joined the business and brought the company into the digital age. We'll talk a little bit about that as well. In 2010, they added course guides and scorecards to their service. In 2014, they became CAA licensed for aerial drone photography and video. And in 2020, Ian and Chris published Scotland Home of Golf. Please welcome my very special guest, Ian Lowe. Good evening, Ted, Ian, and welcome uh, to Golf Talk Live. Yeah, Ted, good evening. Thank you very much for inviting me. 
Well, I I appreciate it. Um, I certainly can. Yes, I can hear you just well. Okay, good. All right. So, so yeah, thank you. We talked this. Thank, thank you very much. For, I'm sorry. No, uh, you're quite welcome. I, I appreciate you joining me, and I'm very excited to have you on for a number of reasons. As you heard, um, we had a, a great conversation um, this afternoon. We kind of did a test run, if you will, um, being that, uh, that you're you know calling from overseas, and we wanted to make sure everything was right, and uh, and here we are. So we're going we're gonna to get down to business. What I wanted to do, Ian, as I mentioned to you earlier today on the phone, before we get into the book and, and, and into the, the business specifically, I thought it would be really good if you could share a little bit about your history when it comes to golf. In other words, how did you get introduced to the game, sort of who introduced you and how were you introduced, um, and are you an avid golfer? Share that with us. Yeah, I'm, I, yeah, I'm almost embarrassed to start the story of my golf um on your show because <laughs> I, I, I was not a golfer. Uh, a military life, the military has always uh, encouraged sport uh, and my sports were, uh, of which I was consumed by them, uh, water polo, um, anything to do with the mountains, skiing, I was a ski instructor, uh, mountains, uh, an expedition leader and um, also played badminton, but other sports as well. So I didn't. Well, I did know one end of, cl- of a club from another, but I didn't know anything at all about golf until uh, my final assignment from from Germany uh, to Scotland to the airbase just across the water from St Andrews uh, brought me right into the heart of golf, and um, you know that's where it started. My game of golf is enthusiastic. I think it's probably the best. <laughs> It's probably the best description. Um, I, I haven't played a lot in the last couple of years. I mean, this year, obviously, uh, there's been so much going on. And last year, I was unable to for personal reasons. But uh, mm. my home course was and is St. Andrews and the courses uh, around there, the old course in particular. My first experience of golf, and I think that's what this is what really um, hooked me in to the game of golf was my wife and my son and myself had arrived uh, at RAF Lucas and we had a, a little drive across to St. Andrews parked up beside the 18th green first visit there. Uh, it was a summer's evening. I think probably, I don't know the date, July or August, but the sun was dropping and there was probably, I suppose 30 or 40 golfers um, watching club players come in polite applause for a good putt or a good approach shot. Uh, and I was there's a lattice, a green lattice fence at the back and to the right of the 18th green. Uh, and we mm. were looking across from from the right hand side through the green to the RNA. And then I just saw it, it, it sounds beyond belief, but I just saw a hand come through the lattice fence. I never saw the person uh, and they stroked <laughs> the grass, the rough grass on the bank. And um it was just, to me, it just felt like um, an indication of love, almost like a devotion from somebody. And mm-hmm. I really, it, it, it sent tingles up my spine. And from that day on, um, uh, I was totally hooked on the game, photographing the courses, but particularly the people who travel 
from one golf course to another, visit our golf courses or visit golf courses in England or Ireland or, or around America. Um, the golf pilgrims mm-hmm. who love the game so much, they want to experience different courses. So that one small, that one small gesture was my, uh, was my hook into golf. Wow. You know, it's interesting because it's, it's a unique story because typically, um, and you know, as I mentioned to you earlier today, you know, one of the reasons I, I like to start with that question, especially with, with a new guest that's never been on the program before is, I like to kind of get an idea, a feel of what drew them to the game. And, you know, typically it's, well, my father, you know, took me out to the golf course or the driving range and, you know, he taught me how to putt and we, you know, a typical thing. But you had a much different experience, a very unique experience and obviously, um, but equally as passionate um, and essentially drew you into the game. And and obviously, as you mentioned, you were very enthusiastic and and a willing participant (laughs) and, uh, and, uh, you know, maybe never had quite the vision that some have of battling it out with some of the best in the world. But nevertheless, um, you had a love in the game from a different uh, vantage point. So obviously you had a sports background. You played a number of different sports, as you mentioned, and, and were involved directly. And uh, obviously had, um, you know, has da- have dabbled in, in the, the game of golf uh, over the years as well. And you, you touched on a little bit what, what b- sort of brought you into photography um, p- pertaining to golf, that is. So what mm-hmm. prompted you to put together your first, first book? We're going to talk about uh, your current book, but your first book, which I mentioned was published in 1999, St. Andrews and the Open Championship, Official History, obviously a very historical mm-hmm. book. What prompted you to put that together? Um it's like most things you know, in life that when you you uh, work on something, your your perspective of where that something should go increases. And so it was with photography of golf courses. It was a very simple start. I started out with one photograph that was sold in Oxaloni's golf shop in St. Andrews. And it was a picture of the RNA at night, so lit up by the lights uh, in front of it and with the full moon beyond it. That was my start. And, and that, that recognition of having a shop accept my submission and people wanting, being prepared to buy it was a massive step for me. Uh, but from then, you know, I spent more and more time on the old course trying to get the different images that showed the course that players play, but because of the heat of battle that they're in and also the sun being very high in the sky, they never actually see the playing surface. They don't see the, the gentle undulations or wild undulations on the fairways or the true depth of the bunkers unless they go in them and they can't see daylight anymore. But um, <laughs> right. so, 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 that, so that's what it was. It was to work on uh, getting the golf course for people to be able to see it um, in a way that they wouldn't normally see it. And... Um, I, I produced a calendar in 1997 and I sent a copy out to a number of publishers. Naively, I thought I had enough images to do a book just of pictures, which I didn't. Um, but I sent it out to a number of publishers in the UK and one in America. Um, I had four rejections from publishers in the UK saying that the size of the task was too complex and they couldn't see they couldn't envisage how it would look, uh, whereas the one publisher in America, which was Sleeping Bear Press, 
Brian Lewis up mm-hmm. in uh, Michigan. Uh, they uh, he got in touch with me, and uh, I flew out to New York, had a meeting with him there, and we we agreed, signed up a contract to in principle produce a book, and then with the open coming in the millennium, he was successful uh, as being the publisher for the official history, and we had the UK rights, uh, and and that's where that mm. first book came from. And then you progressed along, as I mentioned, and now you have a you know you have eight books published. Mm-hmm. Um, doing one book, you know, for some might say, "Wow, that's that's a a feat and an accomplishment." Um, but that wasn't enough for you. You decided, you know, you <laughs> wanted to pursue that even more, um, which again is uh, again very unique. Um, you know, you could have gone and done a bunch of other projects and things, which you may or may not have done, but. But you sort of kept that going, um, and you know. And well, again, we'll talk about your current book here in a moment. But um, what prompted you to come out with uh, some more titles? Well, the, sec- the, uh, the, the second title was the Photographer's Journey, uh, which uh, it won the Sports and Recreation title for independent publishers in the USA. Um, that that was an expansion of what we've been doing at St. Andrews. Uh, I had all the images I needed of St. Andrews, and I was just thirsty to understand more about the Lynx courses of Scotland. You know, I didn't know any of them. I only knew St. Andrews. I had no experience of anything else. So, um, you know, this is going back in the days. There were no other golf course photographers around, really, in Scotland. Brian Morgan um, was still shooting, but apart from that, nobody else. Um, Mm -hmm. And we weren't always welcomed. Uh, we certainly weren't embraced the way we are now as as a, a pivotal part of a marketing um, package. So sometimes, you know, you would be welcomed onto a course and sometimes um, the, the welcome wasn't so warm because you were perceived to maybe <laughs> disrupt golfers, you know, or right. I don't know. But anyway, so, so I started to go travel around and spent um, pretty much three years on the road and then selected from that... Um, nearly 50 courses for the photographer's journey. But, but at the same time as that, King's Barnes had opened. And I'd started work for King's Barnes in 1990. Well, that was my first commission in 97 when it was farmland. But then I started work for the current owner in, in 2000, 1999 during construction. But I met the architect, Kyle Phillips, and got to know him quite well. So Again, with David Joy, the historian, and with Kyle Phillips' input about the architecture of Lynx courses, uh, we started to formulate this idea of a book that would be both historical, visual, and architectural. And um, uh, by then, Sleeping Bear Press had changed to Clock Tower Press, and uh, Brian Lewis was still there. And um, yeah, that book came out, and it was... It's a funny thing, you know, you said about the first book was would be a big thing. And, it, it, you know, we've talked earlier on when we were talking, you know, we were both compared military mm. backgrounds. So when you come from a military background where you don't think of putting yourself out there in a commercial sense, right. you're more about the guy on your left and your right and your team at your workplace. Uh, that first book was... Um, Certainly very humbling, especially as it was the old course and it was the official history. Um, and the second book, 
award-winning again encompassing such a lot of courses um, was a similar effect but it's never a case that I have ever felt I've got to do a book you know I got to to keep my profile or when Chris joined the business our profile we need to do a book that's that's never been the case the, the only times we've brought books out is when technology allows us to present the links courses in a way that we haven't been able to present them in the past. So we started with helicopters, which was very expensive. We used that a little bit um, in the photographer's journey. But then drones in, uh, in 2016, 2014 uh, made a massive difference. We were now able to get airborne over the golf course when the conditions were right for the photograph, not when the helicopter was available. So that's really sort of taking you through the process from 2000 right the way up to 2020. You know, what's interesting, um, and you mentioned Chris, and we'll, we'll talk about him now as well. Um, you, you mentioned the fact, and, and as I did in the intro, um, in around 2007, he joined uh, the business mm-hmm. and, and essentially brought you and the company into the digital age. We talked, you know, we talked a little bit about the digital age uh, you know, you and I earlier, and, and it can be it can be a little daunting and overwhelming, you know, at, at times. But um, you know, obviously, the younger generation, as you know, that's something that many of them have been brought up in at a very early age. Um, so, what was his, uh, I guess, interest in in taking part in this? I mean, what was his sort of Uh, intro to golf was it through your own experiences or did he have his own experience in golf and what made him decide to want to uh, you know become a part of what you're doing as opposed to you know maybe doing something else on his own Mm -hmm. Uh, his golf experiences were playing uh, golf with me uh, and also uh, in St. Andrews uh, the children of St. Andrews the school children of St. Andrews at that time, I don't know if it's still a fact, but they didn't pay for golf at all. Um, mm. So if I went out on the golf course, he would come with me. You know, at the age of uh, 13 or 14, if I was out on an evening shoot and it was a weekend in particular, he would come out on the shoot. If we were going to Glasgow to get the films processed, you know, he would come with me on that. So he was, I suppose, like all children who are exposed to a family business, he was part of that business from a very early very very early age and it did have an influence on him i've got to say he he is a golfer i'm not he, he has a swing to die for um and um hit, hits at a country mile and he hits at a country mile straight but uh you know the the uh the golf and the photography work together do you know in fact sometimes we're as happy with a camera on a golf course as we would be with golf clubs strange thing to say but uh so when chris came into the business um he, he had just finished a degree at uh at university in edinburgh in graphics mm-hmm. uh graphics and design and uh his initial thought was actually to go into finance he joined a bank um and my business hmm. was getting bus- busier and busier uh, and i just said to him you know this is where i am and you know i i either um restrict what what i do as a business or you know see if you would like to join it well fortunately for me he he said he'd join it um as you say he brought me into the digital age he straight away got a website up and running 
Um, or, and this is in the days of film. All of my library from the previous 15 years was on film. Um, so we bought a commercial scanner and scanned in probably thousands of images, uh, encouraged mm. me to get spend the money on digital cameras, encouraged us to go for the licensing, and has just continued mm-hmm. to push the bounds of what we do all the time. Youthful, youthful um, energy, you know, which is mm-hmm. needed. Yeah, and, and it's interesting, too, because, you know, I've had to, you know, uh, push myself over the years as well, um, doing the things that I've done. And what's, you know, what's really interesting is, again, you know, he's obviously seen over the years what you've done. He's familiar with what you've done, but now he brings in it a, a different perspective. He's able to say, okay, dad, let's, you know, let's scan these images up. Let's get them loaded up here digitally because you could do so much more with them. I mean, the film is great and it's, uh, you know, it's a great archive to have, but you're limited on what you can do. It's much trickier and dodgier as they say um, to work with film um, compared to the technology that's out there today. So, and, and obviously getting you a more social media presence, you know, with a website and things like that now opens the door even further. And you mentioned a few moments ago, you talked about, um, you know, getting the license for aerial drone photography. Um, I, again, you know, ditching those expensive helicopter rides to get out and do the same thing. You can now fly the drone over. Um, that obviously has had to make a big difference in, in how you approach things because now you can do things that normally you would probably have to, um, in addition to scheduling the time to get access to the course and so forth, if you now had to fly a helicopter over, you got a whole other issue of you know interfering with, with players and, and you know bothering that sort of thing. Where a drone, you know, you can elevate it high enough and it's quiet and you know nobody hears it. Mm-hmm. That obviously has made a big impact in your business as well, correct? Oh, huge. I, you know, I, I, you can't overstate how big that has been. Uh, and for us, drones, do you know, they've been even bigger than the, the, um, the, the coming of the digital camera because yeah. uh, we, we can get into places that we would never get into with a helicopter. We, you know, we have five different drones, um, carry a number of different payloads, uh, and therefore a number of different lenses as well. So we can put the drone to just 15 feet high that just gives you a little bit of elevation so you can see a little bit of information, but it still gives the golfers perspective or, or we can go up mm-hmm. to 400 feet and you can just show with the low sun, you can just show these magnificent uh, vistas. So it's, it's huge what that's done. Um, they're frustrating at times because there are limitations, you know, um, flying when you've got great weather, but it's too windy. Um, but no, I, I, we fully embrace it, but I wouldn't have done it on my own. Right. And, and, and that's, you know, the point I'm getting at is, you know, this is where you've kind of, in a sense, married, um, you know, your experience with his youthful enthusiasm and, and his experience as, as it relates to, you know, a more modern, up-to-date, technological, you know, whatever you want to phrase it as, um, he's now introducing you to things um, that maybe normally you would not have, uh, you know, grappled to. And, you know, we talked earlier, you know, about technology, and we won't get into it all now, but, um, you know, just just amazing what things you can do now. So he's really opened a door 
that you might not have opened yourself had he not been there to say, hey, you know, Dad, this is mm-hmm. something that we need to really work on. So it was definitely a blessing, and and I can tell you if he happens to hear this, um, he would have been bored stiff working in the bank. I can guarantee you that because I've worked <laughs> in the finance and myself. So it was a good career choice on his part. Uh, you know, he'd have a lot more fun doing this. But um, so let's talk about the book. But I want to I want to phrase the question in such a way. Um, given our current times, um, your recent book, as I mentioned, is Scotland, home of golf. Um, why did you decide to publish this book, especially during a global pandemic? You've obviously had a lot of success. That's a bit risky, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, it, it, it was. It was, uh, you know, a book is a, a naturally expensive uh, project to undertake. There were challenges as far as the uh, the controlling of the project. We normally uh, visit the factory and oversee the printing, uh, which of course just was not possible this time. Uh, but we'd been working, we hadn't been working on a book, but we had been working to acquire a comprehensive set of new imagery of all the golf courses in Scotland um, that people will be familiar with. We've been doing that for probably six years. Um, because we got drones and we were able to do different types of shots. So we had quite a large library of images available. I had um, about 18 months ago, got in touch with one of our printers and got a quote for doing a a new Scottish book, but it taken it no further. We had a lot of other projects going on, a lot of work which were not um, uh, completely tied around drones. Um, So, uh, you know, that that was sort of put on the back burner. Then, you know, we had financially we had a, a brilliant year last year, and uh, we ex- expanded our range of products considerably. And then, mm-hmm. um, yeah, the pandemic hit. So we decided to close up at the beginning of March because we'd seen what was happening in Italy, and we thought it was going to come here and be as right. bad. Um, so, you know, with the offices in St. Andrews, we locked that up and we never went back there for about uh, six or eight weeks. Um, and uh, Chris was put on furlough. The government came in and helped with that. So he went on furlough. Mm. And uh, that was it. I, I just was tinkering around. I, I went out on my bike. I was getting fitter than I'd ever got, you know, through March. <laughs> right. And then I sort of looked, I just looked at what was ahead and, um, you know, photography is a bit like um, an addiction. You mm-hmm. you don't seek you don't seek the praise or the recognition or anything like that. You seek the image. That's what you're after. Is the image that moves you internally from the experiences you've made and seen to get that image. And I, there was no prospect of any imagery this year, as far as I could see. So I started just sort of throwing the idea of a book around and putting a list of courses together. Um, got in touch with our designer that we've used for, well, 10, 12 years, no, 16 mm-hmm. years uh, up in Ann Arbor, a Savitsky design, Mike Savitsky, and um, got in touch with him, got a quote for a book, then decided that if it was going to do a book, we had to go for a really quality printer. Um, and the only way, we had two recommendations, uh, both of them in America, so we went for a an American mm-hmm. printer. And then through April, it was a case of just working out uh, the finances, working out how the book would pace, um, what the content would be. 
got in touch with David Joy, uh, the author and illustrator, mm-hmm. and we discussed that. So in sort of June, David uh, really got down to writing the book. Um, he'd got a lot of imagery from me to give him a, uh, an idea of where we were going with it. And um, I then, because Chris couldn't work um, due to furlough, so I would, I went to Presswick on you know one visit. At uh, left the house at two thirty in the morning, got on the course at four fifteen in the morning. I was back home at eight o'clock in the morning, uh, but just for two pictures. Mm. So so where I saw gaps, um, which was pretty much every one of the fourteen courses, uh, where I f- saw gaps in the strength of the imagery, I reshot it. And then uh, it was then a decision whether to go for it or not, because it is a huge financial risk. But I figured that sure, it, it had given me a lot of pleasure doing the book, just getting the imagery. And I thought there's going to be thousands and thousands of golfers from around the world who have had their, cancel, their holidays canceled or people have had their mm-hmm. golf entirely canceled. And, and maybe come the autumn, by the time we would get the book out, it would be something that would lift people's spirits maybe allowed them to be transported away from, I'm going to use the word horror because it is in some places, the horror that has surrounded us in these days. Right. Um, you know, and, and that's what the book, uh, that, that was sort of the, that was a driving force behind the book. You know, it's interesting that you say that, um, you know, and I, I think we might've touched on this a little bit earlier on in our conversation this afternoon, um, but I've said this many times over the last um, few months. Um, but golf here, particularly in in America, has has really received somewhat of a what I call a booster shot in the arm um, as a result of this pandemic. As as difficult and as tragic it has been for many many people, and I certainly don't want to take away from that uh, that tragedy or discount it. Um, but golf really has, as as you've come to learn um, in your time playing. Uh, has kind of a built-in uh, social distancing, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, and is very easy to adapt uh, to our current situation. And really, golf was one of the only uh, games um, that people were able, to, for the most part, I mean, very early on in the very early stages, you know, in March, obviously there were lockdowns and shut-ins and whatnot, um, but they quickly realized that this was something that they could allow people to do, um, certainly with some restriction. But mm-hmm. it allowed people to get out and, you know, get away from the television and so forth and just get out and, and have some fun. So it really plays into what you just said. And that is, you know, people need an escape when you're in a difficult situation. And I can see, I mean, for the newer golfers, it might be a little bit different because they don't they're not quite bitten by the bug yet. But for the longer you know, term golfers, the ones that have been playing for, for many, many decades, they're really going to appreciate this book because you know they've watched the opens over the years over there at St Andrews and, and some of the other courses that I'm sure are in the book um, and the various uh, you know European tournaments. So for them, um, they're going to have a lot of memories. They're going to come back maybe when they came over and, and played or, or something mm-hmm. they saw on television. Um, so yeah. having said that, you know you selected a number of different courses for this book. How did you decide what courses you were going to put in this book? Um, the, the selection process was actually a little bit easier than you might imagine. I mean, we've got, as I said in my 
uh, earlier on, the, the second book had 50 or 52 courses in it. Um, mm -hmm. But this time I wanted to concentrate on courses that had um, either were new. So there's four new courses in it, uh, but new at championship level. They, they, they had to be the course that people would still aspire to come and visit and play because even though they're new, they have the same principle of design, risk and reward, and fun that the old links courses do. So those four were put mm -hmm. in, uh, uh, um, just to list them from top to bottom, Castle Stewart up in the north, uh, Trump International just north of Aberdeen, uh, Kings Barnes, and then mm -hmm. Dunbarney Links, uh, just um, outside St. Andrews as well. Uh, and then a remodel of um, Trump Turnbury as well. So, so that mm -hmm. was the new ones. But the, the old ones, David Joy and I have, we've done a number of books together now, but we have always discussed, and it's David that drives this, there has been a continual challenge between the tradition of the game of golf and technology. Mm -hmm. well, nowadays, yes. you actually have to yeah. put technology, you have to add into that the physical attributes of the player. So um, when, when I started looking at, at, uh, at putting the history inside of it in, I didn't want to use photography. You know, I wanted to use illustrations because I feel they're more personal. And um, the golfers that we put in are the guys that have they pushed at the bounds of golf for centuries. You know, from young Tom Morris, you know, back in 1870, right age of what, 20 years old when he won the Open, playing the first hole at Presswick, which was 570 yards just over, and he scored a three, 570 yards. Um, so, I mean, that, that effect is what has continued throughout, where golfers, they, they press the, the physical boundaries of the course to contain the golfer. So the, the courses expand, and this has gone on New bunkers go in. This has gone on for at least 150 years. Um, right. And it was, it was just, yeah, I, it was, I just find that side of things um, both challenging to see where the, the authorities go now with the, you know, the distances that are being hit this year and, and the, mm -hmm. the challenges that the golf, the golf courses had to deal with in the past. They were able there was the land available, so they were able to expand in days gone by. But now, and then it just happened, of course, that Bryson came in and took the game by the scruff of the neck at the U.S. Open. <laughs> right. <which> was, <laughs> I mean, I'm across the pond, and, you know, I, I, I don't know any, I only know a couple of courses in America. I, I'm not familiar with many at all. But that U.S. Open was the most riveting golf I have seen for a long, long time. Um, and of course it then dangled the prospect of what he, he might be able to do at Augusta which obviously was unsuccessful but he wasn't right. the only one who was hitting the ball huge distances so the mm -hmm. fact that we've we've mentioned these old golfers you know, and I say with respect to go old I'm going up to Nicholas and, and even Tiger Woods up, up in, um, mm -hmm. in 2000 um, mm -hmm. They continue to press and they have, I mean, Tiger Woods in 97, what he did was just incredible. Nobody had seen anything like right. it. We're seeing it again now. Uh, and so the book is, is almost like an underlying theme in the book. Um, so the courses had to reflect going back to the courses. It had to reflect the changes that occurred um, 
to Lynx courses to accommodate these these big players. And when you when you do that, you sometimes go to courses that may not be an open championship rotor course, but they are such significant courses, you can't leave them out of the book. So the, the selection process was probably easier than you would think. You know, what I find interesting is, uh, uh, you know, about our discussion, you know, when you talk obviously very passionately about uh, photography, is you obviously have an eye, number one, for the photography, but you, you know, not having, and I go back to what I said earlier, you know, when I asked you about what your, your sort of background in golf was. And as I mentioned, you know, typically, you know, most stories you hear, well, I, you know, I grew up playing with my father or, or, or a family member or such, and you obviously had a much different approach. Um, but you've obviously developed a very keen eye for golf. Um, you know, it's one thing for photography in general, obviously as a photographer, you're going to have that keen eye, but you've managed to capture the essence of golf, not being a quote unquote, um, you know, your everyday golfer, um, you know, your background is not the same as many others. It certainly, and again, I don't want to take away from what you've done, but, but you understand what I'm getting at. So yeah, yeah. my question for you, my question for you is number one, do you have a favorite links course that you like to, uh, that you like to photograph? And, um, but I also want you to answer is how did you develop that eye for golf? that's allowed you to capture the images. How do you decide what image? Because you're not just going out and shooting the 18 holes and, well, here's the 18 holes. You're actually very selective in what, you, what imagery you're looking for. So let me know first off, what's your favorite Lynx course that you enjoy um, photographing? And then how do you decide what you want to put in the book? Okay. Uh, this is going to sound, again, almost like sacrilege when you consider <laughs> that my, my season ticket is an <laughs> And you would think I would just say immediately St. Andrew's Old Course. And, you know, for anybody who aspires to, to come to Scotland and play the Old Course, you have got to do it because it will be, it's not just, it's just, no golf course is ever 18 holes that you play. Every one of them is special. You're playing with friends, mm -hmm. you're challenging yourself at every point. But when you play the Old Course, you're walking in the footsteps of the heroes that you've held probably for, if you've played golf from a young age that you've known from a yep. very young age, you, you're able to go in there and play on these enormous um, putting surfaces. You know, some, one of the, the, the longest uh, greens, well, they're double greens, um, the majority of them, it's 110 yards wide. So if you, wow. if you, you know, snap hook right on your approach, you can have a 110 yard putt. Um, and try and get down mm. in two for par. So, and the bunkers are huge as well. <laughs> so I, I, I would just say, you know, please put it on your bucket list and try and get there. Um, I've played the old course a lot of times. Um, I've got to say this, and this isn't bragging, it's because <laughs> I very rarely have any success <laughs> on a golf course. But I did once, out of the many rounds of golf I've played on the old course, I did once get a three on the 17th. And the 17th is wow. considered the toughest hole in the Open Championship. I, I, mm. I basically um, hit two bad shots to the green and sunk a 30-foot putt. So the, nothing there was ever skill. It was all luck. 
but um, you, you can do that on the old course. So that so the old course you would think would be my choice, but actually, um, and I'm biased when I tell you my selection. It is King's Barnes. Um, King's hmm. Barnes was my very first commission when I left the Air Force in 1997. It was the first job I got working on a golf course. It was just farmland in those days. And uh, Chris and I have worked on there ever since. We've produced two or three videos for them. We supply their course guides and a number of other products. But we've been shooting it intensively, uh, supplying them with new images every year for about 10 years. Might be a bit longer than that, actually. Um, Mm. And we're never short. We're never short of finding a newer way of expressing what that golf course is. Uh, it, it is, it's a visual feast for a photographer. It's a golfing feast for a golfer as well. You know, the North Sea is right on your elbow so many times. Um, but that's my favorite links course. And then as to which holes you go, you go for, um, it, it's, it's it's never easy to decide. You know, there's signature holes. Okay, so if you're going to go to Presswick, it's sure. going to be the 17th Sahara. If you're going to go to Royal Troon, it's got to be the postage stamp. Um, the old course, well, it's got to be the town in the background. Um, Turnbury, well, there's a lot of good, got, got a lot of very good holes there now since they've done the changes. But it's going to be the ninth, the par three, and then the lighthouse is your halfway house. Carnoustie, but it's got to be Hogan's Alley. You know, you've only got to stand on Hogan's Alley and marvel at what that man did, especially coming back from a car crash to, to, uh, mm-hmm. to play that and win that. His only visit to, to uh, Scotland, that one visit, and he won. So um, some, some holes are automatically there uh, to be photographed. You just have to work out where the sun is going to be to give you the best angle to show the, that hole off in the best light. I would say um, hmm. there's probably a couple of holes on nearly every golf course that that you would want to get into the book, but then there are another you know half dozen or more that you would like to have in the book, and you have to be a bit disciplined in cutting those back. Um, yeah, I think that about covers it. it. I mean, especially the other thing is when you get unique architecture. Uh, I'm going to go up to Royal Dornop, which is the course that's the most northerly in the book and you know the green um which green is it it is the i think it's the third green uh is shaped like the bow of a boat and then you've got foxy which is tom watson's favorite golf hole it doesn't have a bunker on it so you know there's a lot of golf holes out there to photograph you know it's amazing because again obviously you know you've played many rounds of golf, but you're not typically coming from a golf background and to be able to just, you know, in your, in your mind's eye, see, okay, this is something that I know is going to appeal particularly to the, you know, to the golfing enthusiast to be able to, to capture those images in such a way that allows the, the, reader and you know through visual cues and that to almost feel like they're there i mean you know i've i've looked through i've scanned through the entire book because i'm that's going to be my treat through christmas but um <laughs> you know i've I've got your book and and uh you know i, I i'm going to go through it all but um 
but just visually from what I've seen so far, I mean, you feel like you're right there. You're standing right there on that hole. Um, and obviously, as you mentioned uh, a few times, uh, you know, David Joy's illustrations as well uh, sort of bring it home, uh, especially for, for those that are really well entrenched in the game. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, kudos, as they say to you, for, for being able to put that together, because I know that's not an easy task, even for the best. Um, under under perfect circumstances, but you've managed to in your career being you know being able to articulate um, this game in such a way, and it's interesting because you've done several books along the same line, but each one is uniquely different. Um, which brings mm-hmm. me to to this question here: is what is your your latest project. What are you working on now? Uh, well, of course, the book has consumed most of the year uh, with the uh, the process of getting it through to print and then obviously the marketing. The business, uh, the photography business has been uh, very restricted uh, because of COVID. Mm-hmm. And um, right. so, so a number of things that we would have wanted to do, uh, we've not been able to do. We have been uh, fortunate, in fact, I, you know, honored to be uh, invited to go up to Nan Golf Club, which is just up in the north near Inverness, not far from Castle mm-hmm. Stewart and Inverness Airport, uh, to undertake aerial photography and an aerial video. So we've just finished that. Um, and uh, it sort of enthused me. I, 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 was, I was unsure whether Chris and I, because I brought Chris out of furlough to do, um, I think we were up there three times or four times, and the difficulty in Scotland is getting the weather. That's the biggest challenge. Right. And if it's a link, Scot- you know, especially you want it in the you want it in the early morning or the late night when the sun's very low in the sky, so you could have a nice blue sky over the top of you, and then on the horizon is a bit of cloud and you don't get a picture. But so the weather's a challenge. And then with links courses, if you can, you need to have the tide in. You've got to have a high tide, otherwise it really doesn't bring the drama of the the course and the hole into play. Um, but uh, I think the, you know, you say about, uh, you know, getting the perspective. You know, I, I, although I'm, I play golf, in fact, a, a lot of my closest friends would argue that term as well, that I play it. Um, <laughs> it's, in fact, the, the guys up until uh, th- this year, the guys that I used to play, um, play, play with on a Saturday morning, we'd go out at, six o'clock, uh, half past six and play 18 holes. Uh, and we all seem to take more pleasure in each other's failures than each other's successes. So um, that <laughs> sort of sets the standard for the golf. It's golf is, you know, I'm just going to, before I go into the photography, you mentioned about the up, the uplift in golf. It, it is, it is good for the soul to get out. It is good for the soul to have company in competition, not only with yourself, mm-hmm. but with them and with the course. And, and I think, you know, after the lockdown, people were just desperate to get out. And I think we, mm-hmm. we all, in different ways, appreciate things that we had, that we had taken away for a while. And, and I, right. I firmly, believe, I, I, I hope, I believe that golf will continue this renaissance and that it, membership will you know, continue to be maintained and more people will take it up. It's just good for the soul. Um, just talking about the photography, you know, you said uh, earlier on, um, you asked, 
you know, how it would go from, you sort of suggested going from a military background of photography where, I mean, you would guess we, we really didn't photograph golf courses very much in the Air Force. Um, no. <laughs> unless we bombed them. So, uh, right, right. But, uh, so uh, it, was a, it was a landscape photography. And it's like everything when you're starting something new. You may have a skill set, but you have a lot of failure uh, to get mm-hmm. it right. And I think that's what it was. It was just, you know, grinding away and learning, you know, how to get the shots uh, that got it in there. But uh, it's consumed me now. I, uh, I, I'm just uh, and and that was a good thing about doing then was um, was to get back out with a camera uh, on a commercial project, but on a course that we knew, but we had never seen in that sort of light. Um, and we didn't have the same appreciation of that golf course that we have now. Uh, so I certainly for myself and I know for Chris, we are just aching to get back out. Um, and uh, even if we only going out for some some practice flying or some practice photography to get out there even through these winter months and get some photography. Yeah, I think, you know, it, it's, it's so important, I think for just going quickly back to a point you just made, you know, for people to, to get out and to have that camaraderie again. And, and I've said this many, many times, you know, on my program over the years, golf is, is very unique compared to so many other um, games, sports, whatever, um, is it really does mimic life in so many ways. I mean, you have various challenges. I mean, you know, in competitiveness, you're competitive and, you know, the game's over and so forth. But but in golf, you know, it's you against the elements. Um, it's such an individual sport. Yes, there are team uh, competitions as well. You know, you've got the Ryder Cup and, and others. But it's such an individual it's essentially you against the elements you never know what you're going to get you're not playing specifically i mean you're competing against another player but you're not you know it's not like football or soccer or or something where you're you know you're butting heads and that you got to go out there and you have to sort of use your mind if you will to navigate your well your way around the golf course and a lot of people i don't think uh, and hopefully more of them do now that that have been able to get out that have never played this game before will realize, you know, when they hear their, their friends who've played golf for years, talk about it and think, oh, I, you know, I just don't get chasing that little white ball. You know, I just don't get it. <laughs> I hope they have a greater, well, you know what I mean? Um, I, I hope they have I a greater do. appreciation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I, yeah. I, I hear you. Uh, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. It, it's, uh, you know, you said you, 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 you know, you, you, competing against the elements as well as the competing against the people that you're playing with or against you're competing with yourself. It, it's such a right. disciplined game. It, it makes, you know, you're, you're a golf professional, so you'll understand the, the patience things far more than I ever will on a golf course. But this, you know, when the, the golfers are interviewed and they talk about staying patient and I'm sort of, mm-hmm. I'm tearing my health out saying that, you know, this is Augusta. How can you be patient? How do you control that golf swing when you're so excited? <laughs> you know, when you've got Ray's Creek in front of you. And, of course, some people don't. They go into the creek. But uh, it, it is such a disciplined course. And I absolutely agree that it's a unique sport. But the only other sport that I can think of, and somebody will probably come in and correct me uh, with this, where the terrain has... Uh, a major impact on your success or your score is in the mountains skiing 
And I can't think right. of, uh, of any other, you know, with football, football, soccer, um, baseball, all of those are flat pitches and they, they have no impact on the play at all. So, uh, right, right. Exactly. I mean, that's, that's, it's, it's just, yeah, uh, no, you're, you're, you're a hundred percent right on that analogy. Um, and, and I, I downhill skied as well. So I, I know the Paros, of course, my golf game is much better than my downhill skiing ever was, but so I have the I have the same effect, I guess. But um, but no, you, you know, you you raise a, a very interesting point though, and and that is, you know, when you get out and you play this game, um, you know, besides the obvious uh, again camaraderie that you have with your mates and and so forth, um, you really are testing um, your patience. You're testing so many areas and. And, and and why I said it mimics life in so many ways is because, you know, when you think of the challenges that we face day to day in life, whether it be business and family life and so on and so forth, we have so many different hurdles and, and you know, areas and lanes to navigate. And it's the same thing out in a golf course. So I, I'm a firm believer that they can kind of complement one another. If you, you know, if you learn to become successful out in the golf course and learn to overcome those obstacles and challenges, it's going to help you in your personal life. It's going to help you assess Mm -hmm. and understand and vice versa. If you can do that in your personal life and in your home life and your business life, um, then that's going to help you be a better thinker because the truth of the matter is it actually golf has really nothing to do with the golf swing. That's just the mechanics of it. It's really what goes Mm -hmm. on. And, and, you know, Nicholas famously said, you know, it's 90% mental and 10%. Well, it's actually 100% mental because you can't do anything without your brain. So, um, you know, that's why these guys are so patient because their confidence level in their ability to swing and hit the golf ball is so good that they're not thinking about that when they're out on the golf course. They're thinking about what do I need to do to get the ball where I need to go. They know how to swing the golf club. They've been doing it for, for years. They can. They know how mm-hmm. far they can hit it. They know. You know. It's a matter of overcoming the various challenges, and um, mm-hmm. that's where the mental game comes in. And that's what stymies the rest of us compared to the, the guys that are out on tour. Yeah. Is we haven't figured yeah. that out yet. We're still trying to work on the perfect golf swing, and we're trying to you know hit the the you know get the the great uh, ball flight and so forth. When they're mm-hmm. already have accomplished that, they're onto something a little bit more serious, and that is what do I need to do to win this event and um mm-hmm. it has nothing to do with the golf swing um Ian, before i let you go where as i told you earlier today i said our time would go fast and it certainly is yeah, I know it's late for you yeah um, I, i've thoroughly enjoyed this number one um let me first and say it's, it's been an honor and a pleasure to have you as my guest and i'm definitely going to have you uh come back on in a future show we'll talk more uh golf and and uh and talk about maybe some future projects uh, that you'll have in the works um, but I'd like for you to share, if you wouldn't mind, with the audience. Um, for those now that we're coming into the holidays, this would make a great Christmas gift, not only for that go- uh, special golfer in the family, but maybe somebody that's been interested in the game would like to learn a little bit more uh, about some of the history of the game. This is a great gift. So where can they get Scotland home of golf? Um, the easiest way in the USA is to go to uh, Amazon.com and uh, select books and golf, and then just, uh, or, or, or type in the title, and uh, that'll take you straight through to uh, our selling page on Amazon. They do the, um, the fulfillment. And you'll see on there, mm-hmm. there's a description about the book. We've got a number of photographs up there. 
uh, quite a few reviews. We've been very fortunate to get some very generous reviews from different people. So, uh, yeah, I mean, if you've got a golfer, if you love golf, um, then this will be the book for you. It's uh, What I want to do is to transport the reader. I want to take you away from where you are at that moment and just take you maybe back in time as well as onto the Lynx courses of Scotland. And uh, hope to see some of you over in Scotland sometime in the near future. Yeah, I think you're... I have a feeling that... Uh, uh, they're just waiting for the go-ahead, and uh, I think you're going <laughs> to see a lot of people fly, flying over. I think once the, as they say, once the veil has been lifted, I think you'll see a yeah. lot of people coming over. Um, and yeah. uh, but you know, in the meantime, we we've got to be safe, and, and we all understand that. But um, but Ian, it, it really has been a pleasure. I enjoyed our conversation uh, earlier today. Um, obviously, different from golf, but uh, we'll, we can't share that here on air. But uh, uh, we'll have to continue that conversation. So we'll have to continue that conversation another time. But I, I really thoroughly enjoyed our, our discussion tonight, and I'm glad that you were able to uh, to come on and share about uh, this is a great book. I'm going to look forward through the holidays, really digging into it and and um, familiarizing myself with with some of the um, uh, you know the great memories that uh, that golf has brought, especially in in your area. And uh, I think it's going to be a great gift for, for that golfer out there. So go to Amazon.com, type in Scotland Home of Golf, and it'll take you right there to their landing page. And um, if they want to reach out to you, uh, you mentioned earlier that you have a website uh, in, in play. Yeah. If they wanted to connect with you, if somebody maybe over here is, is interested in, in maybe uh, you know uh, recruiting you and Chris for, for a special project, what's the best way that they can go about reaching you? Yeah, you can get hold of either Chris or myself through our website, which is uh, scottishgolflibrary.com. And uh, we have a contact page there about anything. You know, uh, we, we love getting comments, uh, questions from different people, uh, you know, on different subjects, looking for a, a favorite course or a favorite hole. Um, yeah, please get in touch with the scottishgolflibrary.com. And Ted, I've got to say thank you so much. You've been so generous to me. Uh, I've had a blast with you, both on our earliest conversation and also this <laughs> evening. So thank you so much. I've had a great time. Not a problem. I appreciate that. And um, let's make a point next time when you come on and and we'll maybe set something up sometime in the new year. Um, I would love if, if he's available. If we can keep him up late enough, uh, we'll get uh, your son Chris to join us as well. Um, and... Uh, you know, a couple of old guys here, we managed to hold the fort down for a good hour. Um, yes. I, mine's a little bit earlier, so it was easier for me than I'm sure you. But um, be well, stay safe, have a wonderful holiday, and thank you very much for doing what you do. It just makes golf that much more enjoyable, and I look forward to our next time together uh, here on Golf Talk Live. Thank you so much, Ted. You keep safe as well. All right. You have a great evening, and I'll be in touch okay. soon. Yeah, have a, have a happy holidays, Ted. Thank you very much indeed. Bye-bye. You, you as well. You, bye-bye. All right, that was my very special guest from uh, overseas, uh, Ian Lowe, uh, author of Scotland, Home of Golf, uh, and also the owner of Ian Lowe Photography. Uh, he and his son, Chris, of course, have teamed up and putting some uh, great stuff together. And you can reach out to them, as he said, if you're interested in learning more. Uh, you can visit their website, scottishgolflibrary.com. 
uh, and you can contact them there. If maybe you uh, are interested in, in working with them in some way, or maybe you have a project that you're working on that maybe they can be of service to. And uh, so visit scottishgolflibrary.com. And if you're interested in the book, uh, Scotland, Home of Golf, or any of the other titles, uh, you can visit on Amazon.com. You can either type in his name, Ian Lowe, and it's I-A-I-N, not I-A-N, I-A-I-N, Lowe, L-O-W-E. Uh, and you can just put author uh, Scotland Home of Golf. Uh, you'll find his other titles there as well. But I want to thank everybody for joining me this evening on Golf Talk Live. We're getting close to wrapping up another uh, interesting season uh, here in the program and a special thanks also to the panel earlier, Jamie Leno-Zimron and Bill Abrams. Thank you both for bringing your best to the show. As always, I hope you have a happy uh, um, holiday, and I look forward to having you guys join me next uh, next year on the Coach's Corner panel. And thank you all of uh, for joining me this evening here on Golf Talk Live. It's been uh, a pleasure. I hope that you enjoyed the program. And if you missed it for some reason, uh, if you listen to the outgoing uh, credits, It'll tell you some great ways that you can tune into the program and listen to the recorded version a little bit uh, later on when it's convenient for you. But on that note, thank you, everybody. God bless, and I'll see you next week right here on Golf Talk Live. Thanks for listening to this evening's broadcast of Golf Talk Live. Remember to tune in each week at blogtalkradio.com forward slash golftalklive. If you can't join us live, check out the on-demand section for previously aired broadcasts or listen on any of the following social media platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, CastBox, TalkStream Live, and of course, Spotify. To get updates on future shows and upcoming guests, be sure to visit the show's Facebook page, Golf Talk Live Blog. You can also follow me on Twitter at Ted and Buck CEO. Remember to join me live each week for another great broadcast of Golf Talk Live. See you next time. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.